This is the call for freedom. This is the call for your truest, most authentic self to step forward. This is the call to turn inward and face the darkness and the light that lives within. You're listening to the Divinity Unbridled Podcast, and I'm your host, Hannah Rose Childs. My mission is to awaken and inspire your truth from within. I'm bringing you real, unfiltered access to the cosmos and the underworld to the sacred union of the divine feminine and the divine masculine, and to the pathway home to the fullest parts of your soul. Get ready to go deep. Get ready to ignite your internal fire. Get ready to unleash your fullest self. It's time to step into the truth of who you are. I see you, and your soul is beaming. Thank you for listening, and enjoy the show. Welcome back to today's episode of the Divinity Unbridled Podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Rose Childs, and I'm so excited to be with my guest today, who is a beautiful soul whose enlightenment is helping heal our planet through her powerful classes, retreats, and psycho-spiritual offerings. She holds a certificate in insight yoga with an emphasis on yoga, psychology, and Buddhism, as well as a master's degree in clinical psychology and homeopathy. With all of that, I'm so excited to dive into this conversation with my guest today, Suzanne Marlowe. Hi. Hi, thank you. <laughs> so sweet. <laughs> Thanks for being here. Uh, thank you for having me. Yeah. It's an honor. Um, well, we were chatting a little bit before we started, but uh, I'm always fascinated to hear sort of people's journeys to their, what, what we call in quotes, awakening or um, process into consciousness and I'd love to hear a little bit about your journey and if there was certain times throughout your life that you remember sort of turn taking a turn and and opening up to some of these bigger pieces beyond just your human self um what's interesting you know I've read over some of the the questions and uh as I journeyed back to um if I could say my first taste Mm -hmm. Uh, I remember being three and four years old and uh, being in my grandparents' living room and uh, being very fascinated at the rainbows that were dancing around the room. And to my curiosity, of course, I went to the where they were originating from and, you know, um, as most people are guessing, it's you know, crystals were hanging off of the lamps in the in the room, and the sun was coming in the window. And I think that if I could have said my first taste to um, the mystery, really pointed me back to there. You know, mm-hmm. I really loved just laying on the floor in that living room and just watching rainbows dance. Uh, and then the next, you know, sort of layer for me, I was, went to Catholic school for the first few years of my life. And um, I feel really fortunate to have had some religion in my life, though I've, you know, moved away from the, the teachings of Catholicism. Um, I 
felt such an awe of something other than self, you know, when I got to go into the church, when we got to sing in choir together, um, you know, and most of us know kind of the polarized side to that, you know, of being kind of guilt and shame and, you know, there was a lot of hypocrisy in my family. So that's one of the reasons that I actually turned away from that particular religion. Uh, but it still lives in me, you know. I mean, Jesus had some amazing teachings, some amazing teachings. So, you know, uh, my belief really, um, you know, is a, I was looking at the question of when did you begin the awakening process? You know, I was like, gosh, we're always awake. Mm-hmm. You know, that's sort of my feeling is that I, I never was not awake, but I definitely started to pile on some defenses and certain identifications and certain beliefs that obscured my clarity to seeing that luminosity of awakeness. Almost like we come out, we come out awake, we come out of, you know, birth awake, and then we have these things throughout our lives that cloud our vision in a way. Is that kind of what you're how you're describing it well that's where we bring in psychology <laughs> yeah you know that we see certain behaviors or certain things are taught to us or said to us that um what can i say may dampen our light or mm. may cause us to look in other ways that may not be truthful mm-hmm. So that's why, you know, when you look at my background and where I've come to in terms of the, you know, you were were talking about psycho-spirituality, to grow as a human, you know, to continue to get clear moment to moment requires that we're working both of those ends, Right. right? That we know our stuff, we know what's been conditioned in, we know what we've been taught that doesn't work, but we also know what does work, you know, and it feels like a lifetime worth of journey to continue dismantling or um, maybe debunking some of the myths that we believed that were um, actually layered on top of us, if I could say that. Yeah. You know, I mean, our brains are computers, so they're they've taken in the information they were given for the first few years of life. How would you say some of those things that you felt were sort of layered on you, how did you become aware of some of those? Or do you feel like you always were aware? Did, did you become aware at a certain age when you started studying a certain thing? How did that like awareness, because you can't begin to shift anything if you're not aware of it. I think my interest began in psychology, you know, uh, and I was thinking about why, you know, I mean, I, when I was young, I actually thought I was going to, I really wanted to be an artist, um, and kind of journeying through my life and through teenage years and, uh, some of the realizations of, some of the ways that I grew up and how those affected me um, in the ways that I behaved in the world 
and knowing that there actually was a different way um, that I actually I know from the core of my being that I, I was born to love and so when um, when I had other uh, behaviors within my household that pointed away from that piece and I found myself um, behaving in ways that were not so kind, if I could say that, not so kind, um, very much ego-based. Uh, I recognize that and I recognize how that felt in my body and I recognize how that um, affected my relationships. Uh, and that is when I started to delve deeper into the uh, into the psychological processes um, and also in my teenage years um, I was always kind of the I was a little bit parentified if I could say that um, I, I had a little bit I don't know where this came from and I'm not sure like as I say this I'm like uh, it feels a little egotistic in some ways but it feels truthful I, I just feel like I came in with some I'll say different wisdom mm -hmm. different wisdom than my my parents had I don't know you know I can't say that was an influence of anybody in particular in my life uh, but I do feel that that um, that pointed me in different directions than the way that I was raised. raised yeah. And so I had a lot of questions and that's where I turned to the studies of psychology. And then from there, you, um, you also, I saw on your website that you also studied, you have several certificates from the insight yoga, which is you studied more in the Buddhist side of that, or is that what that program focuses or is kind of grounded in those ideologies that's this is a little twofold okay. right because yeah. that kind of points to the question of how did you get to yoga yeah and then the other question is um how did i come to this form of kind of the psycho spiritual therapy that i do yeah and there's not like one answer it's a myriad of you know there's many facets to this and so I'll kind of that's what makes it interesting <laughs> kind of go back to the kind of the the histories of you know psychology I you know studied kind of the basics you know psych 101 the Skinner Pavlov um, Piaget uh, I didn't get so much into Jungian uh, philosophies and more into that now and so I did kind of your standard studies, uh, family systems and um, addictions and uh, eating disorders and mental illness. And so I, I did all of that study through Antioch. Um, but within Antioch, they then all also offered a program, uh, a master's in psychology with an emphasis on yoga therapy. So that was sort of an interesting turn for me. And I didn't want to do my clinical psych then. Uh, 
mainly because I was very much into homeopathy and as I studied the scope of practice of uh, somebody who has a license, I would not have been able to help people with my homeopathic knowledge. Um, nor would I be able to do any sense of touch like I did in yoga. And so it got a little bit cloudy for me uh, as to being licensed and that uh, keeping me from doing what I love, you know, from yeah. what I was very much into, which was the energetics. What really feels, healing. sounds like it feels true yes. to what you want, want to be offering. Yes. And... So at that point, when I did the master's in uh, um, the yoga therapy and psychology, I had been dabbling in yoga and had done maybe one training at that point and was starting to get into my own practice. And so I got very much into the yogic philosophies and was I was on my path, you know, and my first taste of yoga came from my main teacher who is my teacher now who is the one who has developed insight yoga okay okay and such an interesting story you know i i kind of bow to my younger son uh, ben for bringing me to this path um and he was in nursery school at this time, uh, you know, it's many years ago. It's like, what, 54 years ago? No. Sorry, I'm almost 50. No. I'm like, wait, he's younger than me. When I was three, no, it was, um, I'm sorry. 26 years ago? Well, he's almost, um, he's 27, so it was when he was three, so about 24 years ago, 25 years ago. He met a young girl in his class. And he'd come home and he was talking about her. And gosh, I heard about Imani. Imani, Imani, Imani. So we get to the beach. We're down at East Beach, as you know, the, there's you know, always been a play center down there. And lo and behold, Imani is there. And he's just so excited, you know, a three-year-old so excited to see, you know, this young this young girl who he's been playing in nursery school with. So we go over and we meet her and she's quite exotic looking. You know, she almost looks Hindu, you know. And so I said, well, where's your mom and dad? And she points and uh, down on the beach um, are her mom and dad and her dad is black and her mom's white. So I'm like, okay, this is, now I see where this beautiful, you know, coloring comes from and this beautiful hair. and. Her eyes were just gorgeous. So I go down to meet them and I and I just squat down to say hello and it happened to be my best friend from grammar school from sixth grade. And her <sighs> name is Sarah. And I said, Sarah? Oh, you know, and I said, Sarah Kors? She's now Sarah Powers. And she looks, she goes, Sue? Sue Marlowe? And I just went, wow, you know, and so there we were, and she was here teaching yoga, and she was very much on the path at that time. So we started to trade babysitting, and she had encouraged me to come to yoga. You know, come, come do the class. No, I can't sit, I can't, you know. 
too too quiet for me. (laughs) Can't be still that long. I'm a runner. You know, I like to run. And I wasn't in the greatest shape then either. But I thought, you know, mine is better go. I don't want to hurt her feelings. I should go try this out. Well, she kicked my ass. She was an Ashtangi then. And I just went, whoa, there's something to this yoga, you know. I never went back to her class for a while, but then I began to study with Scott Blossom and Sherry Clampett, and I was religious. Tuesdays, Thursdays, Sundays, 10.30, you know. And so did that for a couple of years and went through some more trainings and, uh, you know, kept, and I was raising my kids and, and I kept following Sarah, kept dipping in and out of her teachings. She, she eventually moved, she moved up to uh, Berkeley, but she would come back uh, to the yoga center and offer her teachings in the history of yoga. And then she got into yin yoga. And each time I saw her, and oh, I'm like, I've got truth bumps. Not even each time I saw her, every time I see her, and her husband Ty. The transformation keeps unfolding, you know, and she continued to soften and brighten, and they both continue to soften and brighten. And uh, I, I just always, all I can feel is I, I'm holding on to their coattails, you know, and they're such inspirational people in my life that. I I really believe in what they're doing and I believe in their guidance. You know, if they say, Suzanne, you should go do this. I'm like, okay. Okay. Hoffman process. Okay. And so they've always guided me in a direction that has been uh, very, very helpful to me in my life. I'll circle back because I didn't really do the psychological part with Sarah. I was more into the yoga aspect of it. But Sarah also had a real psychological component to what she was doing. And so she was using, using psychosynthesis and she was getting into the meridians and she was kind of going into some more esoteric places that didn't speak to me as much as Western psychology. But she circled back around and came back to some more of the transpersonal pieces which I don't think she ever lost, but it, it got a little bit too much out, um, out to places where I couldn't really understand, mm-hmm. you know, which I'm going to say I'm just starting to get glimmers now. Mm-hmm. And so she's come around and she then she had Jennifer Wellwood start coming in and being a part of the teachings. When she first developed Insight Yoga... Um, her husband and I were sitting at breakfast and we were at D'Angelo's and they were just beginning to develop the Institute, the Insight Yoga Institute. And I remember I had just been on retreat with them in Bali and I came back September, October and he said, Suzanne, we're, we're going to, we're putting together this Institute and we're combining the yoga, mostly like the yin yoga with, um, with the Buddhist philosophy and Western psychology. And I'm like, sign me up to everything I'm, you know, that helps me to awaken, that helps me to find clarity. 
and also something that I feel that that would be a benefit for me to teach you know and to keep me inspired in teaching yeah so that's well, a beautiful um well I don't want to say trilogy because there's other other pieces to it as well but those mm. those main components make for a really interesting um class flow that I don't experience in any other mm -hmm. type of class any other type of yoga class mm. those kind of it's not that I don't want to say it's structured but it has some there's some some of those key pieces that you you always incorporate into the class that you can sort of you know you can rely on them and they bring you into or they bring me into a kind of a deeper place within myself with each mm. kind of layer that we go through in the class that's good to know. <laughs> well, and there is a method. You know, this is how Sarah has taught us to teach. You know, there's there's three layers to the class and she will re she will emphasize that every time we come together in our training. Now each training's quite different as she's growing. Different aspects come in. This last I was just with her in November. In a level two and her teachings now are all about the inner yogas you know and so I'm when you say inner yogas can you give a little bit more of a descriptor on what that yeah well yeah. can I <laughs> you know basically you know she's not saying that asana is not important but particularly as we get older I don't think a lot of us want to be doing Ashtanga yoga or hot, sweaty yoga. You know, we're taking, particularly if we've been practicing for a while, um, I'd say many of us, and I don't know where you, you are, uh, the practice of actually being in the body and going into shapes and being very still that's where we get to go in and do our inner yogas and she's teaching us techniques of breathing of visualizations to uh, literally illuminate the inside you know uh, she's coming through some tibetan lenses um, through some yogic lenses through uh, gosh I'm, I'm just sort of in the middle of studying so i'm I can't speak from a really educated place, but I am very inspired. You know, she taught a lot about every organ. You know, you're talking about souls. Yeah. Every organ, each organ having its own intelligence. Yeah. And so through the yin yoga, when we pull on the various meridians and we're affect, affecting the internal organs, she's beginning to add visualizations and 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 breathing exercises to um, stimulate, communicate, and relate to the intelligence of each organ. And so you'll see that more coming through my classes as I continue to practice. Cool. And so these are the inner yogas, like using a lot more imagination to our healing. And that makes sense to me. You know, it's a real playful place to be. It's, uh, you know, I think as we stabilize our system through our, uh, you know, we've talked about psycho-spiritual methods. Psychologically, it's like an acceptance of what was. 
and dismantling some of the defenses that see that keep us from seeing clearly our mm -hmm. luminosity and then practices that brighten our light that keep ah keep shining and opening different facets of our being to ultimately i don't know this sounds a little trite to know who we are you know yeah. and to step into our unique purpose in this life absolutely i want to go back to the um yin yoga because i just did I, I have had a knee injury for three weeks and i have been on bed rest per my chiropractor and my mother <laughs> so that was the first class i was i did in in a couple weeks and you know it was a yin class so we weren't um we were moving but it was much slower and and much more stillness in between the movement but um i hadn't done a yin class in, in a while and what i realized is that it brings up a lot of emotion for me in those poses is that uh, common is that what is or can we talk about a little bit about what what's happening when because i noticed like i mean i was crying throughout the whole class mm -hmm. i was you know, had i didn't have any anger come up this class but just these different emotions that i wouldn't say i normally feel in um, more vinyasa type class <laughs> <laughs> yes yes and yes i mean i i'll speak from like this this broad stroke right It would seem that people don't particularly want to get still because of this aspect, mm. you know, that if we haven't done some of our psychological work, that it is scary to go in and to be overwhelmed by some of our traumas or some of our feelings. And so psychologically, that makes sense. We get still enough to actually see or to sensitize ourselves to feel yeah and yes tears may emerge for sh for sure you know a lot of times you know I don't know I'm not sure what where your tears were relating to or what pose you were in but as I've talked about in class our issues are held in our tissues yeah. so when we go into deep yin pose we go into some deep inside tissue yeah and we're holding there and tolerating from a psychological perspective, and I talk about this in class, is how do we stabilize our system to stay with, stay with, and not abandon through our uh, kind of our normal uh, defensive structures, right? Which is dissociating, checking out, uh, fidgeting, planning. And when we really stay with the body, the body is our most greatest teacher if i could say that you know to gain this trust in the body and to listen listen well to listen softly and to listen deep yeah. and so that would bring up emotion because most of us have forgotten you know and i don't know where the tears came but i you know when i'm in class or i step on the mat or um you know i'll have a teaching and then all of a sudden ding you know there's like this remembering yeah and that bittersweet oh, sadness of forgetting yeah so i don't know if that 
that's kind of where I go. And yeah, I'm, absolutely. It's not ever particularly about something, some storyline. It's that. <sighs> no, and it's almost sometimes there's a, um, the way I experience it, there's a sadness and there's also, uh, like I would say, a mix between like gratitude and reverence mm-hmm. to that connection, that remembering of the connection. And it, it brings me to tears every time I feel it. I sometimes wonder, I'm like, am I, am I ever not going to be moved by this feeling? And I hope I'm not. I mm-hmm. hope that I, I hope that's my response forever because it, even with the sadness that comes, that other part of it is so, um, it's just beautiful. Mm-mm. And tell me if this is what you're speaking to, because I, I think this is where we come to some sense of that balance of how, and this is psycho-spiritual, I believe, how do we live in that middle place where we can actually, um, you know, it's like the Kuan Yin, being able to hold the destitute, the sadness of the world as we're also embracing the joys. Yeah. You know, it's almost intolerable uh, as we drop into that place and mm, tears come to my eyes, you know, this is what it is to be fully human. Yeah. You know, to not shun one or the other, to cling on to one or the other, but to live with our feet in both. Yeah. And that's practice. You know, I mean, a lot of times we're just sort of wavering from one side to the other. Oh, happy, sad, joyous, triumphant, destitute. It's like it's always both. Well, and that one is not, in quotes, better than the other. And I, Thank it's you. funny that we're having this conversation yeah. right now because throughout the last couple of weeks, as I mentioned, on my bed rest, it was basically like every everything around me was saying, yin, you need to stop. Mm-hmm. You, you need to go into that totally yin place. And it that brought up restlessness and it brought up fear of unknown and these other things of really being that still because I haven't been that still in a for that long you know long period of time and what I coming out of it really feel super grounded is is that one is not better Mm -hmm. the the fear that came up is not better than the faith the happiness that I feel when I feel really connected is not better than the sadness I feel when I have moments of disconnection but to find what you're talking about that place where I can see that both are always present and that I'm not holding on to I want to just be happy or I want to know or I want to mm-hmm. what can I what can I cling on to and really softening into just the being where all of it exists mm-hmm. I think <laughs> Well, this is where the Buddhist teachings come in so beautifully, right? Yeah. I mean, this is absolutely what Buddha was pointing to. You know, suffering, yes. You know, and it's it's in the ways that we cling or we push away. We're preferring things to be when we actually have no control of how life is showing up. 
And so the mind trainings being, you know, as you're saying, it's like becoming that, um, that stillness, even when things are chaotic, right? That even when things are kind of over dramatized or things get really tough in our life, that we know where our home is and that we have practices that will actually um, help to bring us there, you know, even, even when we're feeling frenetic or overly anxious or in fear. It's like we become, we start to listen to the, we hear the teachings enough that they start to infuse ourselves so we're able to remind ourselves and in the back. sort of in the moment of instead of having to spiral and sometimes we do spiral yeah right and so when we do spiral the mindful aspect is knowing that that's what we're doing and not shaming ourselves right uh but coming to you know the like the buddhist practice of compassion yeah. wow as i'm feeling this this is so human and so many others are feeling this let me come back to the cushion or sometimes we have to let it just have us for a bit because when we keep trying oh i shouldn't be feeling this uh, you know it actually takes longer for it just to move through us right. knowing it's going to change that everything is always in flux that's probably one of the the greatest teachings that we can re remember this yeah one of the hardest to remember when you're in yeah, really in the pits. <laughs> well, how to not add to our suffering, like this is forever, this yeah. is my whole life, this, you know, we tend to globalize things and we see it, it's completely trained in us through our whole culture. I don't know about your upbringing, I know about your upbringing. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, yes, so, <laughs> so lucky, yes. <laughs> um, and to be able to realize you know and come back to that truth again and again this too will change yeah. this too will change and there may not be anything I can do to change it right now but just bear the storm and how can I how best to bear the storm but to create loving kind practices as I'm as I'm moving through this difficult phase yeah, some grace and compassion for self when we're when we've yeah want to or maybe some of our natural instinct is to to shame ourselves for feeling the way that we do and having friends and family you know that we can lean into you know that's Buddha talked about sangha you know spiritual community yeah we need each other you know that that was his third pillar. You know, very important. Uh, the second being knowing the truth, knowing our truths, you know, studying often, remembering the the essence of our being. And the first is like knowing our Buddha nature, right? Clarity of mind. And going back to the suffering, we, um, I mean, we really do create our own suffering. And I'm, uh, I haven't studied Buddhist um, ideologies. I mean, of course, I have them infused in my community, but it seems like 
a lot of that suffering is really created in our mind. Of course, there's physical suffering, but a lot of the, uh, I want to say internal suffering, seems like a, many of those pieces are can be self-inflicted when we uh, attach ourselves to certain ways. So, of course, I know in your classes what you talk about in terms of, um, you know, navigating the mind and I don't want to say totally quieting it because I don't know that that's possible but but directing it in a way that is uh, mindful and really nourishing but what are some like kind of a couple tips to in those moments of suffering when we're really gripping on to something what what are a couple things that we can do to to bring us back into truth um, so just so I'm understanding your question, so it's that piece of the kind of clinging on, holding so tight that you can't feel the, the softening yeah. aspect, like it just kind of has you. Yeah, you it's know, like I, there's, you're not, there's no go, you can't get out, you're just kind of Right, ready. and there's so many different um, flavors of that, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, this goes kind of to individual brains and how they work and um, the chemistry that's happening in the body, you know, sometimes anxiety is really hard to let go of. Yeah. You know, there's, and a there's physio- so much anxiety right now. There's, there's a lot of anxiety and yeah. Is it self-inflicted? Mm. You know, I mean, we have, we have some stuff to be kind of fearful about, right? Yeah. But it doesn't help us or one another to live in that anxious place. And so tips, you know, first is to know what's happening. Um, I think if, you know, the greatest teachings are around catching it before it actually takes you down, you know, and that's not always easy. But if we know what's happening as it's happening, if we can start to, and I talk a lot about this in my, in my clinic, in my in my office, is uh, the somatic sense. Mm-hmm. You know, our body knows when we're about to go into the um, fight, flight, fear, or they now call feign, like feigning death, like mm-hmm. petrified, like freeze kind of. Yeah, the freeze yeah. mode. And so, knowing our bodies well. And knowing when we're about to uh, grip on ourselves, when the nervous system is about to seize, and using self-regulation techniques, you know, getting out in nature. Uh, You know, a lot of people, (laughs) you know, I always have people come, they want to be good, so they talk to me about their morning meditations, you know, and, and... you know, if you're anxious, if somebody's anxious, please don't start meditating first thing in the morning. It, it can be torturous, you know. Our anxieties are highest in the morning when we get up. Get out and move. Get yourself out of the house and move. You know, even if it's a walk around the block, get in your body. This is, was Buddha's first teaching of, the, of meditation. Be in your body. Now, if we sit on the cushion and our head is just 
in complete anxiety, ruminating, we are not in our body. So to get out and get your circulation going, then if you want to go sit, great. Some breath exercises, some pranayama, nadi shodhana, really easy, that alternate nostril mm-hmm. breath. Boy, that is so calming on the nervous system, so beautiful for anxiety. So Yeah, and I don't know this like the scientific side, but just from a experiential uh-huh. side, it to- it really does bring you into into your body because you're so I mean, you're you're focused on it gives you somewhere to direct your attention mm-hmm. to. Yeah, well it takes you out of your thought process because you have to think about this is why breathing is so brilliant is and is 99% of our yoga is the breath is very present and so if we can continue to continue if we can continue to connect to the breath and to learn breathing techniques for various um, various times in our day or our life it's very very helpful it's it's the ways that we can help to control and navigate our energy body yeah how would you say um you have you how have you navigated some some of the tighter passages in your life and if you do you want to you have one that you feel comfortable sharing um so i always think it's helpful to hear you know actual experiences instead of just here's the ideas it's like it gives some flavor and some um texture to what the concepts mm-hmm. um, I can <laughs> I can speak presently right now I'm kind of in in um, the midst of a life transition that feels uh, very difficult you know for me right now because it, it is psycho spiritual you know and that um, that points to you know our aging parents uh, and uh, my dad's gone but my mom being as youthful as she's been her whole life has taken a, a pretty big turn this year and uh, just over Christmas it's it's become apparent that she needs um, and gosh it's funny because as I'm even telling the story I'm feeling a little bit a uh, little triggered by so you know it's it feels a bit traumatic for me and there's so many layers right one is the um the realization that i'm pro- i'm going to lose her soon and so i have that uh that gut-wrenching sadness inside and then there's another aspect for me too psychologically of this this is my mom so there's some triggering to me of her behaviors and how she's um treating sort of the care that she needs and you know she's got a strong will so she's very uh, resistant to any help but yet she she's falling and her memory is not as good as it used to be she's on oxygen now and um i've really had to grapple with Um, meeting myself in those places and continuing to find some support in my own healing um, with my my mother stuff and also stepping into uh, 
being responsible, you know, but not, uh, not codependently responsible, which has been part of my, you know, yes, I'm a codependent. I have been a codependent. It's not the major part of my being, uh, but I still have many flavorings of it. And so I have that struggle inside of uh, how much to do, how much not to do. And so I ask for a lot of help, you know? I talk to friends, I'm meeting with my own therapist. I'm gonna see your mama and get some, uh, some good medicine, some flowers and some homeopathy. Uh, and you know, it's, it's kind of riding the storm, doing my own practices, finding quietude where I can, like really absorbing in, into some, some places of solitude, but not too much. And so that's how I'm navigating this particular phase, um, of her life and my life. And, uh, you know, Again, it's so fresh for me, and my mantra is like, just continue to move towards love. And then how how all of those aspects look, you know, that's great. The concept of love is one thing, but then what behaviors follow what is it actually? that? Yeah, you know, and that will be different for each person. Um, yeah, so I'm still. I guess I. I could say I'm still a little bit confused about it because I am in in the midst, but I I definitely see how um, you know it's it's multifaceted. There's we can't. There's not just one way. Yeah. I don't think you know that we actually have to start creating our village and and leaning into that village. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you sharing that, that mm. as it's still. Yeah. current and tender because I um, I think that that vulnerable side of us it it reminds me in this moment and I imagine that people listening it's going to remind them that we are not alone in our mm. stuff even when it feels like we're alone yeah. and that the stuff is going to keep happening it, it just is that's part of being human and that we're going to be okay and each each experience is just giving us an opportunity from my perspective to go deeper into a state of love mm. yeah. however that looks yeah yeah so thank you for sharing that yeah yeah and it's one thing you know i mean one of my main teachings is we're going to lose people we love you know i mean that's number one buddhist teaching life is short it's precious and as a teaching, as a concept, you know, yeah, it, it hits home. And then as it really hits home, it gets, you know, it's somebody who's next to you. You go, okay, the fire's, you know, the fire's turning up, you know, how to put my practice to work, you know, that not to, and I say this in class too, it's, it's, it's so important that we practice when things are really good, you know. It's like building the muscle so that when Thank something you. happens, yes. you yes. have somewhere to drop into that exactly. you can sort of rely on in some yes. 
form. Yes, because if we're starting to, you know, a lot of times crisis will bring people to practice. Right. Right. Um, and uh, and a lot of times people will just come to practice because they're in crisis. Mm-hmm. And so we need to remember that it is a practice and uh, some sort of a daily practice is helpful. Yeah, and what is, I, I ask everyone uh, about a daily practice, so since mm. you mentioned it, I'd, I'd love to hear what your daily practice mm. um, involves, because you obviously are quite committed to that. Yeah, you know, I mean, what daily practice, you know, every morning, um, you know, one of the reasons I don't teach until 1030 is I, I really uh, savor my mornings. And so I will always, you know, I kind of get up and I have my little rituals that I do uh, before I'll either, I usually journal uh, because I want to remember some of the vapors of what's happened in my my sleep life. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I'll throw the I Ching. You know, if I have questions, I I may throw and then write on that. And then I'll do some breathing. You know, I may do some a little bit of movement. I'll, you know, I'll go through my practice, a little bit of movement, uh, just to kind of get my limbs open. And then, and then I'll do some pranayama. Depending on what my energy is like, I will, uh, I will adapt my pranayama to what's needed in in that morning. And sometimes I'll turn on. Uh, some, you know, like one of my teachers that I really love is Kia Miller. I may go to her on Yoga Glow and do one of her classes. You know, if I'm feeling like, oh, I just kind of want to, I want to be taught. Yeah, sometimes you want some, right, some guidance through your practice instead of just doing your own, even though you totally can. Yes. And then sometimes I just want to be really quiet mm-hmm. and I'll go through a series of maybe three yin poses. And, you know, I can't say that my practice is like, oh, this big, you know, hour, two hours every morning, half an hour, you know, like, but it ends up being an hour with my writing and a little bit of reading to inspire and then generally a half an hour of breathing and some sort of um, a yoga posturing. And then I get out. I either walk up in the hills or I go down to the beach and I'll run dry sand in my bare feet just to get, I, I have to connect to the earth in some way every day. Um, and just remember that deepest connection. Sometimes I'll jump in the ocean about three times a week. Oh my gosh, you're one of the crazy people out uh, there. <laughs> oh my gosh, it is baptism. <laughs> it is baptism. And, uh, and then I come teach. You know, I'll teach her. I go into the, to the clinic. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. I think what we were talking about before we actually sat down, um, I don't know, felt kind of fresh and, uh, it felt, uh, very true. So what we were talking about before with, um, related to soul? Well, soul, but, but, um, we talked a little bit about awakening Mm -hmm. and, sitting with people 
um, you know, I, I think it's important to find mentors and teachers uh, that it's not just their words, but it's being in their presence that you feel a resonance. Mm -hmm. So that's with therapists or with teachers that you feel some sort of vibrational truth. Right. It's not just just words that you're hearing or something that you say, yes, this is what I should be doing, but really a feeling back to the somatic body wisdom exactly. that you really feel something inside. And even if somebody says, oh, this is the greatest teacher, right. you know, and you sit and you're like, this doesn't, doesn't speak to me, right. you know, or I'm not feeling that, that resonance. Yeah. Move on. Yeah. You know, and I say that in this way that also know your stuff, know if there's walls up to defense or whether your ego's coming involved or, um, and you know, for folks who are just beginning, you know, to find a practice, patience, you know, be really, really patient with yourself. And when you start to hear things that really ring true, pay attention. Yeah. And then be with people who have that resonance, because as I was saying, you know, I was sitting with you and just feeling that um, ins inspiration to your your kind of waking up or finding that luminosity and being there with you and then that touching my feeling of being woken up like being clear to that um that we can help each other through this resonance right yeah. and it's almost like like the vibrations mirror and bounce off each other and they um my experience of it in my body is that the, the vibration gets bigger when i and with someone who whose resonance matches mine and instead of just both of us staying you know at the vi same vibrational pace it's like the the they excite each other and they they lift each other into a higher higher vibration well and i'm trying to remember the teacher who said this i'm thinking maybe it was david white but i might be off um we can only know someone else we can only know ourselves through another's face mm -hmm. and so that's namaste yeah. Right. That as you shine your light brightly, you know, it it helps me to remember mine. And so I feel that, oh, OK, kind of a oh, I can relax into that. And I think that's what you're saying. Yeah. Then we are one. There's no there's no disconnection. Yeah. And so. That's the practice. Ultimately, you know, the practice as we step on the mat or we sit on the cushion, it's getting to know ourselves well. Yeah. It's moving towards radical acceptance of whatever our histories were, whatever we're becoming. The becoming part is the spiritual, what our histories were, psychological, mm -hmm. right? Psycho-spiritual. So we've got that groundingness of what was and then that grace of what's, what's to become, what's becoming. And that tension in between. And so how to continue to find that stillness and be in that fire. It's not only fire, but the air, you know, like there's awareness is kind of the sky like mind. But we needed to be grounded in our bodies. Yeah. You know, to not leave. And it's so easy to mm. it's so easy to leave when any of the discomfort 
comes in. Right. So yoga, let's get comfortable with discomfort. You know? Yes. Yes. So namaste. Namaste. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's so good to be here. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Divinity Unbridled. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to be inspired through writing, speaking, and art, please follow me at Divinity Unbridled on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok, and subscribe to my newsletter at divinityunbridled.com. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time.